As we turn our attention now to 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning with verse 18. Then David went in and, oh my goodness, here I go again. Then David went in, went in and sat before the Lord. Oh my, I'm having trouble this morning in a good way. David went in and sat before the Lord. Oh, shaka David went in and sat before the Lord. Beloved, sometimes you just go in to God's house and you just go and sit before the Lord and begin to talk to him. Give us a heart like that. And he said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is in my house that you have brought me thus far? <laughs> Do you know how often I say things like that to God? Who am I, God? I'm just that kid from Flint, Michigan that somehow you had grace upon and pulled me out of that mess and put me in a place where you could keep me safe until I got saved. And then when I got saved, you took me. You put me in the ministry. And then of all the glories, you, you put me in Manila, a place where people just love the word and want to worship. And then look what you've done with us over the last 40 years. Who am I? Oh, beloved, look at, look at what God has done for you. And just come and sit before him and say, who am I? Who am I that you have brought me thus far? Some of you businessmen, please forgive me. You need to come into the house of God and just sit before him and lift your hands and say, who am I? That you have brought me thus far. Who am I? Some of you young professionals, may God give you a heart like David. I mean, you look at you. Look at you. You know, you, you grew up in a family that had nothing, and your family sacrificed everything to put you through college. And now look at you. You've got a house and a lot, and you've got a car. You've got a beautiful family and you've got money in the bank. And you've got fancy gadgets. Do you remember the poverty of your youth? Come and sit in his presence. Who am I that you have brought me thus far? Who am I? Maybe today you ought to just stop by one of the churches. Stop by one of the campuses. And just walk in and sit down in the sanctuary and lift up your hands and say, God, who am I? Who am I that you have brought me thus far? Who am I? And yet, this was a small thing. <laughs> this was a small thing in your eyes, oh God. God, it wasn't any big deal to you. It was, a, it was a little thing. It was huge to me, but it was a little thing to you, God. 
You didn't look upon it as if you were doing something tremendous for me. It's just who you are. It was a small thing in your eyes, O God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. This is the future. And this is and this is instruction for mankind, O Lord. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O God. <laughs> you know your servant. You know the older you get, the less you think of yourself. Now, now some of you that are older, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's not a false humility. But by the time you get to a certain age, you know, you look at yourself and you know yourself. You know me, Lord. <laughs> There's no perfection in me except what you've given me by the blood of Jesus. What more can I say to you? Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatment to make your service known. Wow. Because of your promise and according to your heart, you have brought about all this greatness. David said, God, greatness, was your idea. This was your promise and this was your heart. David said, I didn't sit down and scheme to be great. You just did this, God. To make your servant know it. Wow. Now, now there's a, a revelation for leadership that you just got to get a hold of. L means leadership in my Bible. You know, we read the Bible and then we read other books like Good to Great. And, you know, we, we see all of these things about men who determined to do great things. You know, as you get older and you, you've done great things, you go, wow. I didn't do all of this because it was my ambition. I didn't do all of this because it was in my heart. Because of your promise. And according to your heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great. <laughs> I like that. You are great. Oh, I wish my pen would work. Not, not David. David didn't say, therefore, I'm great. <laughs> he said, therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you. And there is no God besides you, according to all we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, one nation on earth, whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people, whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself oh, your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O oh Lord, became their God. And now, O oh Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house. And do as you have spoken. And he said, Lord, confirm the word you have spoken regarding your servant and regarding the house, he said, God, 
You promised a future for my house. Now do as you have spoken. God's will. Do as you have spoken. And may your name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel. And the house of your servant David will be established before you. Verse 27. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer for you. All right, this is a revelation of God's plan for David. There are times that God gives us a revelation of his plan. And now, O Lord God, you are God. Your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken. And with your blessing shall be the house of your servant. Shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Chapter 8, verse 1. After this, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. And David took Methheg Ammah out of the hand of the Philistines. And he defeated Moab. Sorry, he defeated the Philistines. And he defeated Moab. And he measured them with a line, making them lie down on the ground. Two lines he measured to be put to death, and one full line he spared. And the Moabites became servants to David and brought tribute. And David also defeated Hadadezer, the son of Rohab, king of Zobah. And he went to restore his power at the river Euphrates. And David took from him 1,700 horsemen and 20,000 foot soldiers. And David hamstrung all the chariot horses, but left enough for a hundred chariots. When the Syrians of Damascus came out to help Hadadezer, the king of Zobah, David struck down 22,000 men of the Syrians. All right, so the Syrians. And we've got the king of Zobah. And David put garrisons in Aram of Damascus, and the Syrians became servants to David and brought tribute. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. That's one of those wow verses. Why was David victorious? And this is the truth. Because the Lord gave. Why are you going to be victorious? Because God will give you the victory. And David took the shields of gold that were carried by the servants of Hadadezer and brought them to Jerusalem. And from Betha and from Barothai, cities of Hadadezer, David took very much bronze. And when Toi, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated the whole army of Hadadezer, Toi sent his son Joram to King David to ask about his health and to bless him because he had fought against Hadadezer and defeated him. For Hadadezer had often been at war with Toi. And Joram brought with him articles of silver and gold and bronze. These also King David dedicated to the Lord. Wow. Together with all the silver and gold that he had dedicated from all the nations he subdued. So David, David gave the wealth to God. That's fascinating. David gave the wealth to God. You know, when, when David died, forgive me, he died pretty poor. Because even at the end of his life, he emptied his treasuries to build the house of God. 
David was a giver. I mean, you got to get a hold of that. From Edom, Moab, the Ammonites, the Philistines, and Amalek, and all the spoil of Hadadazar, the son of Rohab, king of Zobah. And David made a name for himself when he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. Then he put garrisons in Edom, and throughout Edom he put garrisons, and all the Edomites became David's servants. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. Uh, there's a key. When you start seeing repetition, the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. David had battles, but God gave victory. David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and equity to all his people. Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was over the army, and Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, was recorder. And Zadok, the son of Ahitab, and Ahimelech, the son of Abathar, were priests. And Sarai was secretary. Now notice, secretary, someone who kept the records. And Benaniah, the son of Joadiah, was over the Carathites and the Pelathites, and David's sons were priests. <laughs> and David's sons were priests. God is an amazing God. And sometimes you just open your heart to the scriptures. And, oh, there's just, just so much there. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. But I 
Our New Testament passage today picks up in John chapter 18, beginning with verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now remember with me, if this is the Kidron Valley, and this is the temple courts, the Last Supper would have been up over here. So he would have come down out of the that area, come down into the Kidron Valley, come across, and then right about here is the road up to Bethany, up the Mount of Olives. This would be the Mount of Olives. And right here at the corner of that road was the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the garden. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So one of the things that you need to know is Betrayers know you. Betrayers know you. They know everything about you because they've been close to you. Judas knew exactly the place where they went to be alone, where there were no crowds, and there would never be a crowd to cause trouble. Betrayers know how to hurt you. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So lanterns and torches, why? Because it's night. And weapons. But why the weapons? Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Who do you seek? Notice Jesus didn't send somebody out in front of him. Jesus didn't do people power. Jesus was the leader. He went out to face the trouble. Jesus answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now, where was Satan? Okay. Satan was inside Judas. And this is one of my favorite truths of, of, of the, the betrayal. Here is Satan controlling Judas. And when Jesus says, I am he, they all fall to the ground. Sometimes we call it slain in the spirit, though I don't like that because the Holy Spirit doesn't slay anybody. Overcome by the presence might be a better way to say it. Satan couldn't even keep Judas standing up. And Satan was in control of Judas. Couldn't keep him standing up. So where was Satan? Satan was on his face before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Even in this darkest hour when Jesus said darkness reigns, Jesus was and is Lord. So again, he asked them, who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you I am here. So if you seek me, let these men go. He protected the apostles. He protected the next-gen leaders. See, if the work was to carry on, he'd invested everything into this next generation. If they got killed that night, there would be no future for the gospel. So Jesus protected the next generation of leaders. As some of you older pastors, please forgive me, but as we are in the, the last season of our lives and ministries, there are people that will want to destroy the next generation of leaders. You have to protect them.
This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those you gave me, I have lost not one. He lost Judas. No, he didn't lose Judas. Judas walked away. Jesus protected those who followed him. This is something pastors have to remember about their assistant pastors. Go through the Gospels and study. Jesus protected his staff. Jesus protected. When people wanted to criticize them, Jesus defended them. You have to protect the next generation of leadership until they get strong enough to take the role themselves. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it (laughs) and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Now, (laughs) forgive me. People always want to make fun of Peter. But you know what? I probably would have done the same thing and you too. (laughs) Peter was a man. You're going to hurt Jesus. You're going to have to go through me first. Okay. He had just told Jesus up there in the, in the last supper that no, Jesus, I'll even die for you. I'll go to prison for you. (laughs) He's going to live it now. (laughs) He must've been really confused that night. Jesus said to Peter, Peter's defending him. And Jesus said, now, Peter, put the sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? He said, Peter, this this is God's will. We we don't fight God's will. Okay. Now, there's a, a great truth there. You don't fight God's will. This is the cup the Father's given me, Peter. Now again, how confusing must that night have been for Peter? Peter had said, Jesus, I'll die for you. And Jesus said, no, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me. And Peter just, no, 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 I'll never deny Jesus. I love Jesus. Je- Peter's a man. He, he's a fisherman. This is, a, this is not some wimp, okay? This is a strong man. These guys come against Jesus with their weapons. Well, Peter's got his sword. Come on, bring it on. Let's see what you got. Well, Peter, this is the Father's will. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Peter must, his brain must have just been, you know. Have you ever felt like that with God? Sometimes you just, whoa. That must have been Peter that night. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. So this is, this is the Godfather, all right? This is the Godfather. This is the true power. He was made high priest back in around, oh, 3 to 5 AD. Remember, it was a high priest was now appointed by the Roman governors. It was not a spiritual position. It was more of a governmental position with a spiritual title. Now, Caiaphas is the son-in-law. It was Caiaphas who would advise the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. This would be Luke. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of Luke, the beloved physician. This would be John, the beloved. 
got my mind on beloved and not the name. John the beloved, who leaned back his head on Jesus. And he doesn't use his name because he wrote this gospel. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, okay? John says, I know the high priest. He entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door with another. So the other apostle or disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. All right, so John gave Peter access. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. There's number one. So the servants and the officers made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. And the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Okay, He, he wants to know about the doctrines, and he wants to know about people. How do, I, how do I stop all of this and finish it? Jesus answered, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught you in the synagogues and in the temple, where all the Jews come together. He said, I've said nothing in secret. No secret meetings with Jesus. No secret teaching with Jesus. When people start talking about secret teaching, I don't go. I learned that from my grandpa. My grandpa said, now, Davey, you're going to be around people as a young man, and they're going to want to have some secret teaching and private teaching with you. He said, David, don't ever go to that. He said, there's nothing good that happens in secret. Jesus lived openly. You know what? I was 18 when he taught me that. I'm now 64. You know what? I'm still saved and I'm on my way to heaven. Sometimes grandpa's teachings, most of the smart things I learned from grandpa, okay? So why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They, they know what I said. And when he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand. Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Defended himself. He said, if what I said was right, why, why are you, you hitting me upside the head? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest, and he sent him bound. So I want you to notice Annas, the godfather, this guy, Annas did all this questioning about this, okay? Caiaphas was taking care of getting him killed. Annas was the strategist, okay? He was the wise old strategist who had been through how many governors and how many different emperors and still maintained his position all these years. He was a political strategist, okay? He was the political strategist. That's why he wanted to know about people and doctrines. Caiaphas can, can get the guy killed. He can handle that. But Annas wanted to know, how do I, how do I stop it permanently? 
okay? Different people, different motivations in their heart. So they ask different questions. All right, let's close out today with Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 21. If your enemy is hungry, rejoice. No. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. All right, so give an enemy what they need. No, Pastor. <laughs> that person's done nothing but hurt me. You know, we've all got people like that in life that have done nothing but hurt us. And then when they get in trouble, it's really easy to rejoice. But the Bible teaches us to never do that. If your enemy has a need, you help them with what they need. Why? For you will heap burning coals on his head. New Living says you'll heap burning coals of shame on their heads. And number two, the Lord will reward you. Now, what did David do to King Saul? Spared his life, did good for him, and Saul was ashamed. Sometimes doing good for your enemy will shame them. Sometimes it just makes them hate you more because of resentment. But sometimes burning coals of shame come upon their head. But the most important thing, the Lord will reward you. Don't ever expect your enemy to give anything back to you. Don't ever expect your enemy to do anything but be an enemy. Be good to them, but always expect them to be an enemy. Your reward will come from God. The north wind brings forth rain and a backbiting tongue, angry looks. New Living said, as surely as the north wind brings rain, so a gossiping tongue causes anger. Now, beloved, as soon as you, you see a backbiter, as soon as you see a gossiper, <laughs> the next thing you're going to see is strife. The next thing you're going to see is trouble. This is one of these people that releases toxins, okay? <laughs> the toxin. This is a toxin that gossipers release in an office, in a barangay, in a church, okay? It is better to live in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. New Living says, it's better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a lovely home. <sighs> Guys, bless God, my wife's quarrelsome, so I'm going to go live by myself and leave my wife. That, that's not what the scripture is teaching. But what it is teaching is that in marriage, and let me apply it on both sides, wives and husbands, to be married to a quarrelsome person It makes life long. You just long to be alone because you don't want to be around a person who does nothing but want to quarrel. It's a toxic atmosphere. So let me encourage you, if you're a quarrelsome person, come to Jesus and let him change your heart. If you're a quarrelsome husband, come to Jesus and let him change your heart. If you're a quarrelsome wife, come to Jesus and let him change your heart. If you're a quarrelsome young person making your parents' life horrible, come to Jesus and let him change your heart. You see, folks, the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he will change us. We don't ever have to be who we are. This is what grace does. 
This is what the Holy Spirit does. This is what the Word of God does. He changes us from the inside out. So maybe you've made your marriage difficult. Start by coming to God and asking Him to change your heart. And then go to your Asawa and ask forgiveness. But ask God to change your heart first. Well, why, Pastor? So that you won't do it some more. Amen. All right, we're going to stop there. We'll see you tonight as we get back into the book of Romans with three of the great promises of God. We'll see you tonight at 7 o'clock.